Hey, do you remember the game show Press Your Luck? Ah, yes. My favorite poem comes from that show. Big money, big money, no whammies, stop. (laughs) (laughs) What a haiku. There was always one whammy as a kid in the 1980s that just gave me the frights. Was it the Liberace whammy? (laughs) No. The Boy George whammy? (laughs) No. Scarecrow and Mrs. King whammy? Okay, now you're just making up whammies. (laughs) But no, there was one whammy that just always made me cranky. It was the one that would come on and in like this high-pitched Gargamel voice predict financial disaster. I think they all did that. (laughs) But that reminds me, I think it's time for our annual pop culture predictions episode. It sure is. But never fear, we won't be predicting financial disaster or horrific maladies. After all, who wants to go back to 2020? We'll be looking at some pop culture nostalgia and predicting whether we think anything from pop history's trash bins will make a resurgence in 2024. So call your psychic friends, light your seance candles, and grab your crystal balls. Oh, I'm grabbing my crystal balls right now. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Just get ready for a few pop trash predictions. Okay, let's begin. You know there were whammies that parodied Tina Turner, Willie Nelson, Cyndi Lauper, The Supremes, Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, even Tammy Wynette, who was known as Tammy Wamet. <laughs> That's brilliant. I mean, <laughs> who knew whammies had such a deep universe? They were just the Avengers of the 1980s game show world. <laughs> Celebrities, they're just like us. <laughs> whammies, they're just like us. <laughs> Well, welcome to the Pop Trash Podcast, where your game show experts, fortune tellers, and hosts. I'm Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. Each episode, we take a pop topic and trash talk it, but with love, of course. And love, well, let love shine, and we will find a way to come together can make things better with some pop culture predictions. Oh, I see what you did there. It's holiday. It is holiday, which, you know, this is a holiday season one, but I also picked that song because 40 years ago this week, Holiday became Madonna's first top 40 hit. Can you believe it's been 40 years since 1984? I don't understand the question and I refuse to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) We're going forward. We're talking about predictions today. We're, We're future looking here. Yes. I would agree, although I do think 1984 had a special moment in pop culture, so worth taking a minute just to be like, happy 40-year-old birthday, 1984. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 1984 is really a pop culture nexus for me. I think so many amazing pop culture things happened that year, from cinema to music to, it was just a watershed of when you look back on like quality stuff that you still watch and love, a lot of times it's 1984. There must be some cosmic thing too. I mean, with the George Orwell book, I really do think there's something spiritual and mystical about that year. Well, I agree. I do love 1984. If not for the Where's the Beef commercials, (laughs) then, you know, for the Ghostbusters nostalgia. But you're right. This is our annual pop culture prediction show. And instead of thinking about 1984, we should be thinking about 2024. So are you ready to get into it? 
What was the question again? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I predict I will be ready. (laughs) All right. Well, before we start looking at 2024, we should probably take a look back and see if any of our predictions for 2023 came true. Oh, God, do we have to? I'm always so bad at it. They're terrible. Well, who knows here? I'm going to, you know, let's let's rewind a little. Eric, Uh your three predictions for 2023 were a reboot of clue oh okay the the second coming of timothy dalton as james bond (laughs) and the bleak outlook that machines and artificial intelligence would start to ravage humanity oh i got one right i'm just saying how do you think you score well one for three and and a clue reboot is probably still in the works. I don't know, I don't know about the Timothy Dalton as James Bond, but reflecting back on it, I think it's still a good idea of old man Bond, like old man Logan. <laughs> if Hugh Jackman can do it for Wolverine, why not? Well, uh, I haven't thought about Timothy Dalton in 12 months, so I'm going to call that a win. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing is if you go back and listen to the episode, you're like, uh, there's this new thing coming out called Chat GPT, <laughs> and, and I guarantee that is going to age like that Today Show clip where you know it's like 1995 or 1994, and Katie Couric's like, "There's a new thing coming called the Internet." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Have you heard of electronic mail? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome. You've got mail. But do you really think artificial intelligence has started to ravage humanity? You were pretty bleak last year. I didn't say that. I said it was going to take some jobs. No, you were. (laughs) I'm afraid to remind you, you were a little darker than that. Well, eventually we will get there. I'm just saying I I didn't want to predict too far. You were like, well, I think we'll be at like what Jurassic Park and War Games and Terminator. I mean, it's coming. You don't think it's coming? (laughs) I don't think it's coming like that, no. (laughs) Well, Mike, let's take a look at your predictions. You said that we would get reboots of Wait Until Dark and the Lethal Weapon franchise. (laughs) Two very closely related properties. (laughs) Exactly. You also predicted that in the mold of Stanley Tucci's Searching for Italy, that we'd get a spinoff called Searching for Greece, starring Nia Vardalos. (laughs) We got a My Fat Big Greek Wedding 3. Is that wrong? (laughs) Uh, It's not right. (laughs) It's Vardalos. Wait. Well, I don't even think I got the movie right either. It's my big fat Greek wedding. Thing, yeah, it is. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so no points for you is what you're saying. Well, I'm going to give myself 0.02%. I don't know. <laughs> Looking at those, you, sir, are no Walter Mercado. <laughs> God, I wish I was though. No, but why I'm going to just say like two things. One, we didn't get a new Lethal Weapon franchise, but... We did get an announcement that Ryan Reynolds and Channing Tatum would be starring in a new action comedy film called Calamity Hustle that has been billed as a 21st century lethal weapon. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Ryan Reynolds working on Clue? Are you sure that movie's <laughs> oh, yeah. not called Clue? <laughs> and then the other thing I'll say is that Searching for Italy was sadly canceled. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it got picked up sort of in a different variation by another network. So Stanley Tucci will continue to tour Italy. Sadly, we are not touring Greece. But some network out there, you got to get on this like tour countries for food starring celebrities that people care about because it's a it, that's a cash cow.
All right, let's jump into it. Nostradamus, what is your first prediction for 2024? Well, you know, superhero movies may never go away, but their luster, I think, has lost some of its shine. And I'm not the only one saying this, right? I think we're heading toward a world where video game franchises overtake superheroes as the movie tentpoles. We saw it a little bit this year. There was a big Mario Brothers movie, and that's what brings me to my first prediction. Why not Atari's Pitfall the movie? Ooh, makes total sense to me. What about a Kaboom the movie or Breakout? <laughs> <laughs> so you know Pitfall the game then, right? I do, yeah. Pitfall is, I think, a really interesting game. It's, it is not that technologically savvy. It's just like, it's it's Pitfall Harry who is essentially the guy you play, making your way through the jungle, jumping over swamps and alligators and swinging on vines and hurtling over logs and just, you know, all those things with some killer sound effects. Just last night, I was lost in the jungle with Pitfall Harry, surrounded by giant scorpions and man-eating crocodiles. Well, Harry and I just grabbed the van, swung through the trees, and over the tar pits and found the jungle treasure. It was really neat. If you haven't met Pitfall Harry, you're missing the year's most incredible video game adventure. Pitfall for the Atari 2600 and in television. Since I met Pitfall Harry... No other man will do. Pitfall, designed by David Crane for Activision. I just think there's such an interesting property here. Mm-hmm. So going back and looking at Pitfall, I remember it as a kid being that video game that was just like something my older brother liked and older relatives liked. It was a 1982 Atari game from Activision. It was the video game of the year in 1982 and the second best-selling video game for Atari 2600 after Pac-Man. So that's kind of fun. It was also designed by this guy named David Crane, named like one of the top 100 video game designers of all time. He also was part of the design team, and you mentioned this, that made Kaboom. That was my first video game. Well, what's funny is he also hilariously was one of the designers years, years later behind another video game from the 90s that was called Home Improvement power tool pursuit (laughs) in which the the player assumes the role of tim the Toolman taylor and has to traverse a bunch of different sets to find missing tools that were swiped from the set of tool time yes i'm talking about a video game that was based off of the tv show home improvement (laughs) made me think like oh my god have have we not have we been sitting on this whole generation of like 1990s sitcoms that have video games like if there is an empty nest the video game out there oh my god Gosh, could you imagine? You know it's coming, a Golden Girls video game. Trouble on the lanai. But I don't know, I see potential here. I kind of think of it as like maybe the style of like Crocodile Dundee or Indiana Jones. A beloved action hero, Pitfall Harry, has to make his way through the jungle in order to, I don't know, like in 90 minutes, save his life or rescue someone or stop artificial intelligence from ravaging humanity. (laughs) Speaking of movies, this dovetails right into my first prediction. Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, Marvel movies this year have underperformed. But I do think that people are tiring of the ability to keep up with the massive world building over, you know, keeping track of the continuity over 20 or more movies. And and that's part of the reason, right? They're looking for something new, something fresh. I don't think comic book movies are going to go away. They're just going to probably be not as big budgeted. Something else is going to come in there and you say video games, I say a different genre is going to rise and replace it. Get ready. 
for the Western to return to screen. <laughs> and it's it's already happening. I mean, the popularity of Yellowstone, this new CBS show, The Lawman Bass Reeves, we've kind of shrunk the world. And that call of the unknown of the Old West is, I think, alluring and something that we've done space movies to death. We've done comic book movies to death. And Westerns kind of were like the comic book movies of their time, they were all over. I mean, it was like on TV, on the movies. It was a popular genre. And then it just dropped off. And I wonder if that's going to kind of happen to comic books. And I wonder if Westerns could make a comeback. So what you're saying is you think next year could be a real bonanza. Oh, it'll be a bonanza. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a bold prediction. It takes some true grit to make a prediction like that. Two reactions. One is I think I'm not surprised to hear you say this because I think you have a secret dream of wanting to move to a ranch in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) I mean, I watched those episodes of Yellowstone and we've talked about this before. It's not slanding on a horse. basically, (laughs) And it it calls to me. What is it? The mountains are calling and I must go. (laughs) Can you imagine having to take care of a horse though? Oh, I could never do it. (laughs) No, it's all fantasy. You yearn for this thing that you're never going to do. You're never going to achieve. So seeing it on the screen, something that's so foreign to you, but exciting. I think, I think we're primed for a comeback. I could see that. I mean, so other than you wanting to move to a ranch in the middle of nowhere, I think the other reason this is interesting is we are so online as a world right now, right? Your phone is attached to you 24 hours a day. You're on your laptop all the time. Electronic billboards and ads hit us from every direction. And there's something nice or interesting about like a world where none of that exists and the roosters still crow and the cows still moo and the, the butter still needs churned. <laughs> and, we're, we're talking Westerns, not the Waltons. <laughs> <laughs> More tombstone, less little house on the prairie is what I'm saying. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm associated farm life with Westerns, I guess. Yeah. And I think some of the reason might just be budgetary for the studios, right? That they, they can't take risks on a $200 million budgeted comic book movie with months and months of intense VFX work to be done, a Western is just as much action or could be just as much action as a comic book type of a movie with heroes and villains, but there's no CGI. And I'm sure there's a big budget for horses and whatever that costs. You have to do stunts, but it's much more grounded in reality. And I bet it's much less than $200 million. Oh, probably. I mean, I think about it. And if you're, you're thinking of, you know, filming a production that has, you know, that's set in the West with a lot of horses, I mean, that's a much more stable opportunity. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm all for it because the dad jokes just write themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a perfect transition because while you're predicting the return of Westerns, I'm predicting the renaissance of something Midwestern. (laughs) Are you ready for it? 
the return of 1970s salads, be they jello salads or close relatives of jello oh, salads. Oh god, I hope this prediction doesn't come true. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is my favorite thing right now. So a headline grabbed my attention the other day. It said TikTok discovers the magic of Watergate salad. <laughs> Do you know what Watergate salad is? I don't know, but I bet you have to break into the supermarket to get the ingredients. <laughs> it is pistachio flavored pudding, canned pineapple, marshmallows, and whipped topping, but not whipped cream. Oh. I just love it, though. I think the return of this ecosystem of you know jello salads or the close relatives of jello salads, it's just so interesting. And it makes me think of a bunch of salads. Like, do you know what ambrosia salad is? Yes, I have heard of that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pineapple, mandarin oranges, maraschino cherries, coconut, marshmallows, whipped topping, a touch of sour cream and sugar. That sounds better than like these other ones that have vegetables and things in it that sounds more like a parfait to me and who doesn't love a parfait (laughs) (laughs) but no there's others too like have you heard of seafoam salad (laughs) (laughs) that sounds just as disgusting as i'm sure it is lime flavored jello pears cream cheese (laughs) maraschino cherries and cool whip (laughs) oh my do you know what frog eye salad is i don't but i predict you're gonna tell me what i'm going to it comes from uh the area of like utah nevada which apparently is called the jello belt of the u.s (laughs) Uh, wait i think i have a jello belt no you have taffy blow not jello (laughs) right (laughs) the crucial ingredients in frog eye salad are small pasta normally a cena de pepe Uh uh-huh egg custard Cool Whip, and canned fruits of your choice. It's always canned fruits in these recipes, huh? What'd you call me? (laughs) (laughs) How do you take something like that and make it fresh and current? This is a great diet cookbook. (laughs) I would look at that, read the recipes, and be like, I'm actually not that hungry right now. (laughs) I mean, those 70s and 80s cookbooks really had tons of these. There were chapters and chapters of these, I know. Oh, totally. But they're having like this resurgence. So there's one of the more popular TikTokers in the food world is um, this guy named B. Dylan Hollis, who has a book this year called Baking Yesteryear. All he does is bake recipes from everywhere from like the 1800s to like 1980s. And they're just these vintage recipes that rely heavy on jello, lard, all these things that were like part of cuisine in like older, older generations or older American history and haven't really been used that commonly now. I think there's just a moment where we could see a way of interpreting these vintage recipes. Yeah. All I know is there is always room for (laughs) (laughs) J-E-L-L-O. All right, Mike. Well, I see your jello and I will raise you bringing back tab. No, (laughs) I'm going to predict that every year until they bring it back. No, that's not actually my next prediction, but it should be. It should be. I mean, Lord knows there is a community of active tab supporters out there. I mean, why not bring back tab, the drink for beautiful people? No, my next prediction is in 2024, there will be the great streaming services consolidation. Oh, yes. I think we're, we're already starting to see it. Disney and Hulu combining their app is going to now be one. 
So it's fascinating to me that where we've come from cutting the cord of cable was freedom. And then at first, we just chose a few of these streaming services that we wanted. And now it's just as expensive or more than cable. So I think these companies are going to consolidate. We're going to have fewer and fewer streaming services. What do you think? You're definitely on to something because if you add up all the streaming services that we subscribe to, it is absolutely more than what our cable bill was in like 2004 or whatever. It's crazy. Yeah. And that's kind of wild. Although I do think the quality of product on these streaming services is better than what you got on cable. For and what sure. I like about it is there's some TV channels that I never watched and I was mm -hmm. paying for them for nothing. Right. So like with streaming, at least I feel like I'm paying for stuff I want to watch. Lawrence Welk Plus. Oh, no. <laughs> the bubbles never stop popping with an around the clock champagne music and dancing. I would watch it. I'm telling you, I would watch it. <laughs> You're totally right. It just isn't a sustainable business. And what I think is super interesting is there are things on streaming that I'll like uh, and I'll watch, but movies especially when they're just like when they just go on streaming i don't think there's been a streaming movie that has like hit the cultural zeitgeist in a way that some movies that go into theaters do there's they just feel very transactional like they go in one ear and out the other ear and it's like i like them some of them are fine but they don't have like the cultural memory i mean the only one i can think of to be honest with you and it's from a very earlier moment in streaming before we had all these different apps is Bird Box, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, from the Sandra yeah. Bullock one, where people did, I think, start talking about that in some ways where it felt like, oh, that was a water cooler movie, right? But now it's like it's so much content. There's so many apps that it's really hard to know. Like if you're watching a $200 million movie that is for Netflix versus – you know, something that feels like a made for TV movie on Pluto or, or Roku or Paramount or whatever. It just feels, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to know. It's, it's hard to talk about it communally, I guess, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I don't know. I mean, is that good for, is that good for the world though, to have, you know, m less companies owning more content? I mean, that's a really good question. I don't know. I go back and forth on that. And I think consolidation in the beginning will be good for people's pocketbooks, but in the end, less choice probably, right? Yeah. All right. Well, that brings me to my third prediction, kind of also in the music world, if you're you know building off of Lawrence Welk there. So you know that 2024, we will have an Olympics. It is set for Paris this summer. And along with an Olympics means another Olympics opening ceremony. And the opening ceremonies always tend to bring out some major names in pop culture. So, you know, I've written about this for Pop Trash Museum before, but a bunch of singers have given theme songs to the Olympics. Are you ready for a little list? I think you're going to know some of these. Okay, yes. G Giorgio Moroder, mm -hmm. Taylor Dane, Gloria Estefan, Whitney Houston, Freddie Mercury, Celine Dion, Tina Arena, Muse, and even the last Summer Olympics, the weird 2021 ones that were postponed a year for uh, because of COVID, gave us a bop from the Jonas Brothers. Daft Punk is a big French artist, probably one of the biggest like French pop music like acts of the last 40 years. They unfortunately have ruled out. They do not want to do the Olympics. They're retired. Yeah. I, that's I think, yeah. I think partly why, but they were like, nope, we're not reuniting. We're not doing the Olympics this year, which is kind of disappointing because yeah. can you picture the parade of nations happening to just a constant loop of around the world? Oh, geez. 
One more moment in time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure there will be some amazing French acts that will 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 be there and, and be wonderful. But in, just in terms of thinking through like someone that's like a household name. Um, and I was like, oh, who would we get? Who could we get that has like maybe like global appeal? Not too far away from France is England. And there is an artist who became very zeitgeisty about a year ago, um, a year and a half ago, who rarely performs, but has a perfect song that could be like matched for the Olympics. And I thought, oh, what if they bring her over? She doesn't like to travel, but getting from like the UK to Paris is fairly easy. You don't even have to get in a plane. Like maybe we could get Kate Bush doing Running Up That Hill for the opening Olympic ceremony <laughs> for the marathon. Run of exactly. the... <laughs> it's a little on the nose. Okay. And wait, is she French? Is no, she she's from... English, but the, okay, so but I'm not getting this prediction. Well, I'm saying there's not a ton of French acts that uh -huh. like have that global oh, okay. household name. So it's like, uh -huh. I'm thinking somebody, you know, like the Jonas brothers doing the Tokyo Olympics, like you could get Kate Bush to do. Okay. This. So they don't have to come from the nation. Though. No, no. I mean, Georgia Moroder isn't, you know, he's German, right? He did the 84 Olympics. No, he's Italian. He's With Italian. a name like Giorgio. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. I'll give you this one. <laughs> but yeah, I, so it just makes me think like, yeah. And there are obviously there's amazing French cultural. I'm not trying mm -hmm. to like, you know, dunk on the French. <laughs> You're like, the next big Olympic song will be sung by this baguette. <laughs> I would I would loaf that, actually. Oh, God. <laughs> Mon dieu. <laughs> well, how about we get your last prediction? All right. My last prediction, calling back to streaming... Because people are now recognizing that shows disappear from streaming, like Westworld was taken off HBO, folks who use PlayStations got an email, made a lot of people irate that some HGTV content that they purchased was no longer going to be licensed. So people realize now that when you purchase something from Amazon or Apple or digitally, they say you're buying it, but it's really only a limited time rental. In both cases, like if the rights holder decides to pull the plug on the licensing and you bought that, things can disappear. So my prediction is just like when no one would have guessed that vinyl would make a comeback, I think it's time for the disc to make a comeback. People are going to start building home libraries of Blu-rays and DVDs. I really think it's going to be like vinyl collectors. You're going to see sales go up again like vinyl did. And it's a subset, right? Like everybody who listens to music doesn't listen to it on vinyl because it's inconvenient. Everyone is going to still stream music. But I think the, in the same way that there is a desire to own things and have it on your shelf, you're going to see more of these home libraries again. And it's not going to affect the people that like don't care about any show. Like they just watch genres, right? They don't care about a particular show. If they want to watch an 80s comedy, they don't care if it's Growing Pains or Who's the Boss. Right? Well, they just want to watch one of them. <laughs> but if you care, if you're like you and you really prefer Growing Pains and you got to watch it every night before you nod off, You'll want to have that on your shelf. 
What do you think of this? Well, I, a bold choice of you to say DVDs or Blu-rays are not laser discs. <laughs> well, I, just, I don't think those are going to come back. <laughs> I mean, they are the size of vinyl. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But I could purchase Growing Pains, which I have, <laughs> right, and watch them all, and they're like in my cloud until they're not. But I've already paid for it. So you think they could like say like, oh, you've already paid for this, but we're taking it back? It's it's happened. I will tell you, I was went to watch um one of madonna's concerts i'm going to tell you a secret the concert movie looked scrolled 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 through my apple um movies it's not there i contacted them hey i think there's something we don't have the rights for it anymore i had paid 17.99 they weren't even going to refund me they were like oh well you watched it you know but we don't have the rights to have it on our service anymore that's happening there are a number of titles that are now being taken off of people's PlayStations, their Apple TVs, when they lose the rights for that. And I think that's the thing. Like, it it seems like right now it's a small number of titles, but I think going forward as these mega companies have to have the money to continue licensing things, they're going to cut things loose and say, like, we don't need this on our platform. Give me a break. Yo, you're saying I could lose Gimme a Break, the TV show that I've downloaded? (laughs) (laughs) All right, those are some predictions we've got for 2024, what we think might be happening, what might come up. But before we sign off, we actually just wanted to look back on 2023 and just call out maybe one pop culture nostalgia moment that tickled our fancy. Oh, I'm tickling my fancy right now. (laughs) Okay, Reba. (laughs) (laughs) Eric, I'll throw to you first. Was there something from the past came back and just made you happy, made you giggle, made you smile? Oh, most definitely. And my pick for pop culture moment of the year is the way our camp icon Scylla Black has become a TikTok meme with (laughs) surprise, surprise. I love it. And so many people probably have no idea who this lady is. Definitely have no idea who she is. They just know her as the TikTok lady that says surprise, surprise. Um, but I, if you, if that's you, I encourage you to go seek out Scylla Black's Christmas special, which is just phenomenal and campy. It begins with her singing, Lionel Richie's all night long in the middle of a living room full of teens breakdancing. It's so fun and so enjoyable. And I just love that how much joy that people get out of that. And I I get joy every time I see it on TikTok. Oh, I could not agree with you more. It makes me so happy. And like, it makes me want more things from the past like that to come Mm -hmm. back in meme form. There've been a couple this year that, that is probably one of the biggest. The the other one that I see constantly is like the Michael Jackson segment where he's like, they lie, they lie. (laughs) (laughs) The past is just waiting. It's ripe for everybody to mine these moments for memes because you know that's the way that we're going to have this kind of intergenerational pop cultural cross connections and i just love it so much oh totally but like what a random one because like yes i mean not a household name and so surprise surprise to be like such a big overwhelming meme is really kind of fun yeah and it's, it's such a deep cut because if you are not from across the pond especially if you're american you, you just have no concept of who Scylla black is oh is she british she's british well that's actually kind of fun because 
My pop culture 2023 highlight also involves a British person. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Yeah. I think you're going to know this if I just say that if I say two words, Jaffa cakes. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Oh, Jaffa cakes. Yeah. Jaffa cakes. (laughs) 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 No, I, I don't. So enlighten me. Well, they're like this British cookie. And a couple months ago, they had a commercial where they had 1980s pop star sensation Bonnie Tyler talk about how she was obsessed with eclipses and then bit into half the cookie. <laughs> oh, yes. I saw that on TikTok. Yes. Bonnie Tyler was hawking those cakes. They're like a moon pie or something, Yes. Right? And she goes, uh-huh. given, <laughs> given my connection to eclipse-related matters, I was very <laughs> happy to collaborate with Jaffa Cakes to educate Britain about the science behind this magnificent lunar phenomenon. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. And I love it because it also, also what came with it was a incredible dance remix that's very short of Total Eclipse of the Heart. (laughs) And it's so fun. Bonnie Tyler is still one of these like late 70s, early 80s singers that when she pops up, I just love it. I love her smoky voice. I love that she was part of Eurovision years ago. I love that she's doing cookie commercials. She was interviewed a couple weeks ago because it turned out that Total Eclipse of the Heart was actually written for a musical about Nosferatu. And it it actually and it also was supposed to go to Meatloaf first, but he couldn't do it. So Bonnie Tyler got it, and that just made her into a sensation. She had some music before that, obviously, but Total Eclipse of the Heart makes her a household name. And I just love that, like, she came back this year. Yeah. Hello, I'm Bonnie Tyler, and I'm obsessed with eclipses. There are three types of eclipse. You've got the lunar eclipse, the solar eclipse, and then there's the total eclipse of the heart. Well, that brings us to the end of this predictions episode. Thanks for listening. If you want more of whatever this is, you can find us over on poptrashmuseum.com. And we're also on that garbage heap we all call social media. Please like and follow the Pop Trash podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, give us a short review while you're there. Until next time, don't let the George Michael whammy take away your big bucks. There was no George Michael whammy. There was a George Michael wham. Oh, God. <laughs> Ooh, you know, if there was a George Michael whammy, though, he would take away everything she wants. No, oh, stop, <laughs> stop. <laughs>